Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. So this morning, I'm starting with a new series called Upside Down Kingdom. Upside Down Kingdom. Now, it's not Inception, the movie. Don't worry. Um, we're not going to go to sleep. But it's something that's been close to my heart and something that I wanted to speak about for a long time. And because I, I believe we, we're not speaking enough about Jesus. And there's going to be a sermon series focused on exactly that. Before I start, I want to I read you a story just to give you a bit of context and build a bit of a platform of where we're going as a sermon series. And I want to I read this to you. Um, let me just start. It says, there's a story of a man who lived in Denmark who was commissioned by the king of Denmark to lead a band of soldiers against pirates who were playing havoc with the shipping along a certain coastal area. This was a long time ago. The man decided to, to set up his headquarters on a lonely, rocky, desolate island just off the coast and after a few years was able to clear the pirates out of the area. Upon returning to the mainland, the man reported to the king, and the king was very pleased and offered him anything he wanted. Have you ever been there? If, if a king comes to you and said, I'm offering you anything you want. I mean, that's quite, a, I mean, woo, that's, that's Christmas times three. And he offered him anything he wanted. All he wanted, he told the king, was a plot of land on an island where I had just lived and fought for so many months. But the island was barren, the king said. Why do you want to live there? The man said, I want to plant trees and I want to make the island beautiful. So the king and his men thought, man, this guy is crazy. The island was on a coastly, a coastly area. It was swept by storms and high winds all the time. And he would never be, and he said to the, he said to the man, you would never be able to plant or grow anything there. But the man, however, insisted, and the king granted him his wish. He went on to live on the island. He built a home, and finally he was able to bring his wife to it. For years they worked persistently, planting trees, shrubs, grass, and gradually the vegetation took hold. The island began to flourish, and one morning they arose um, from their sleep, and they heard birds singing. They had never have any birds been on this island before. Eventually, the island became a showpiece and was visited by thousands of tourists every year. But before the man died, he requested that the following words be inscribed on, on his tombstone. And it said the following. It says, make the world a bit more beautiful and better because you have been there. I love that story. Isn't that amazing? See, what is great about this story is that so many of us have the opportunity, if we have the opportunity to pick anything, would you pick the worst instead of the best? Just think about it. If the president of the country come and said, you can pick any property in South Africa, how many of you would pick Robben Island? <laughs> come on, man. See, it doesn't make sense. But it was, there was a different thinking than worldly thinking in this man's setup. He thought differently about life. 
And if we read the commentaries about all the Gospels in the Bible, we see that many scholars in the Bible actually calls the Gospel an upside-down Gospel. An upside-down Gospel. Look what Jesus said in Mark 8.35. He says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the Gospel will save it. You see, upside down. See, the whole Jewish culture and the religious world were waiting for the Messiah. We all know the story and we all know the history. They were waiting for hundreds of years, waiting for the Messiah that would come and save them from oppression. Save them from the Romans. Save them from the spiritual oppression they were under. And then Jesus came to establish and birth a gospel that turned everything on its head. Everything. So much so, look in Acts 17, verse 7, 6 to 7. This is, a long, this is after the Gospels, but listen to what, what happened. When they couldn't find them, they were talking about Paul and Silas. They were running, they were all over Roman, uh, the Roman Empire. They were in Antioch and, and they were preaching all over. And they were, they were making, I mean, everybody was mad at them because of the Gospel. And they said they couldn't find them, so they took Jason instead with some of the brothers in the house church and dragged them before the city council along, uh, sorry, before the city council. Along the way, they screamed out, "Those troublemakers have turned the world upside down, and they have come to our city. And now Jason and these men have welcomed them as guests. They traitors to Caesar, teaching that there is another king." Named Jesus. You see, after Jesus left, after the cross and the resurrection, the gospel was spreading like wildfire. Wildfire. And Paul and Silas was in the, they were missionaries going out to the Gentiles. And, but see, what Jesus came to establish here on earth was so different than what the world was waiting for. And so much so that they didn't even believe that he was the Messiah. That's how different it was. A man came, he was born not in a hotel, in a kingly quarters. No, no, he was born in a stable. Different. Now, for the next nine Sundays, including today, we only have nine Sundays left until it's holiday, until we close as a church and it is, it is almost Christmas. Nine Sundays. So for the next nine Sundays... I want to look at the book or the gospel of Luke. And I want to go through this book of, the, of, 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 of miracles and signs and wonders of a life of Jesus who changed everything and turned the world upside down. Now we will not go through this book systematically. I'm not going to go Luke 1 verse 1. I'm not going to do it systematically. But I want to look at the stories of Jesus. I want to look at how Jesus came and changed the world. How he opposed the proud and gave grace to the humble. How he welcomed the sinners at his table and how he touched the sick and set the captives free. And how he depended on the Holy Spirit and prayer throughout his ministry. Now, we want to look at everything that Jesus fulfilled and accomplished 
And it's very important. I want, to, want you to, if you're making notes or if you're making mental notes through this series, I want you to keep on looking to things that Jesus fulfilled and what he accomplished. For years and years and years, say the generations have struggled through stuff and how Jesus came and fulfilled it in one moment. How he accomplished it in one moment. Now the book of Luke, let me give you quickly a big backdrop because today I want to build a quick foundation about the book of Luke. That's a very quick one. And then I'm going to go into the first story that I hope to minister to you today. Now the book of Luke was written by a medical doctor called Luke. It was 60 years after the cross that the book was written. And Luke was amazing. He, in an old age, he traveled around and through a lot of interviews, he got all his facts together. He even interviewed Matthew and Mark, the two disciples. And that's why there is a lot of overflowing of the Gospels. Um, and he started writing this book called Luke. Now Luke didn't just write the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And if you look at this, the, the commentaries and, and, and how the scholars read this, they say that when you look at Luke and Acts, it's almost written in the same manner, in the same way, and how much it, it actually complements each other. Now, Luke traveled extensively with Paul. They say they traveled thousands of kilometers together by foot, doing missionary work. And Luke was the last man that was still with Paul on his deathbed. And between the two of these amazing men, they wrote the major books of the New, New Testament. Two guys. Two guys. Now from the, three, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke's Gospel have ten chapters in that the other two Gospels doesn't even have in. He have different things in that Gospel that wasn't, that wasn't mentioned in Matthew or in Mark. Now Luke contains probably the most miracles that Jesus has done in his ministry years, showing the compassion that Luke had for the sick as a physician. Now let's quickly look at the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I know John is also a Gospel, but it's a totally different Gospel, written from a place of love and encounter with God. And, but if you look at the first three Gospels, Matthew was presented, uh, presented Jesus as king, and it was written for the Jews. Mark was presented, well, presented Jesus as servant of the Father, of Father God. And it was written for the Romans. And then Luke presented Jesus as the perfect man. And it was written for the Greek nation. It's amazing how God came and he contextualized the gospel for every culture. Isn't that amazing? I never thought about it when I started reading the Gospels. And I knew, why, did, why is the Gospels, why is there four Gospels and everything says basically the same stuff over and over? But God wanted to contextualize the Gospels so much that the world can change. Now as you go through the Gospels, it is clear how Jesus turned the world and the normal way of thought upside down. He didn't come the way they thought he would come. See, Luke is the only Gospel writer that claimed that he wrote the events and recorded events in order. That was Luke. He said, as he written it, that's exactly how it happened. And if you go to Matthew and Mark, they had events, but they jump around. And if you read the, the book of Luke, it was in order. It's, it's precisely the same as Acts. 
It was written in order from this time to that time, exactly what happened one thing after the other. Now there's so much amazing revelation hidden in this gospel. And I'm trusting, and as we go through this gospel of Luke in the next couple of weeks till we end the year, I trust that God will open some amazing things through your relationship with Jesus. And that he will minister to us in deeper ways and as we dive into the gospel, because it's all about him. That's why we open the book. That's why we do what we do, because Jesus came and he changed everything for us. So are you ready? Let's jump in. Let's jump in today. Now I want to start with a question today. I'm going to look at Luke 1, and, um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, before I'm getting to Jesus, I'm going to talk about one thing before we dive into the life of Jesus. But I want to start with a question this morning. And the question is this. Have you ever given up on something? Come on, how many of us? All, all of us. I remember I did my first mountain bike race in Neisner, the Oyster Festival. I just got a mountain bike. I just finished my running career. And I said to the Lord, but I want to I do mountain biking. I want to jump over a bush, not worrying that if I get injured, I can't run uh, anymore. Now I'm done. Now I can jump over anything I want to. And since then, I've been jumping over stuff. <laughs> but I remember I got a mountain bike and I said to the Lord, I want to start with a nice mountain bike event. And I saw the Oyster Festival in Neisner. Who, wants, who, who doesn't want to ride his mountain bike in Neisner? So the forest there. And I wanted to get engaged to now, my wife now, Salome. And I thought, man, what a, great, what a great opportunity. So I organized a ring, got the entry, and I did this race 50 kilometers through the forest. And the first 20 kilometers was amazing. I was racing and I was pushing my bike and I was everything. Till I get to the 30th kilometer, I couldn't move anymore. Everything was aching and paining. And I literally got off my bike, pushed it into the, to the, um, what the, the forest area, left it there, and I just went and lied in the grass, seeing the guys going by, eating my bar one. That was my major give up moment in my life. I never forget it. After about 20 minutes, I got up and I pushed my bike for another 100, 100 meters. And I got up and I started pedaling the last 20 kilometers through hell all the way to home. <laughs> so it was, wasn't fun. I gave up. All of us have moments like that where we give up in life. Maybe you've given up on a race that was too tough, like me. Or maybe you've given up on waiting. How many of you have waited in a line and it's like, oh man, Halfway through that line, I can't wait, I'm just going to go. All of us. How many of you have given up on a promise? Or how many of you have given up on a friend? I can go on. But all of us, all of us have given up on something in our lives. Now, when you look at the Greeks, and Luke actually was a Greek, a Greek physician, and he wrote this gospel to the Greeks. And if you look at the Greeks, they started the Olympic Games, and they had a lot of events when they started the Olympic Games, but there was one most prestigious race. Now, this race was uh, compiled out of runners that ran with a lit torch. Now, the winner was not the, the runner who finished first, but the winner was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. And it's such a prophetic sign of, of us as Christians. Will you finish the race? still burning for, for Christ? Will you still finish this race and not give up? See, there's something special that happens to us when we push through 
those moments in life that is really tough. That is really tough for us. Now today I want to speak about the blessing on the other side of surrender. Surrendering in faith when He is doing something out of the ordinary in your life. When He is doing something when you already have given up. Because all of us have. Now, let's jump in. Luke 1, verse 5 to 13. I'm just going to read, and then I'm going to speak. It says, When Herod was king of Judah, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from a priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, um, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. That's into the Holy of Holies. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. No pressure, no pressure. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense, incense altar. Now let me just stop there. Do you know when the priest went into the holiest of holies? They had a rope attached to their feet. Because when they die in the holiest of holies in God's presence because of sin in their lives, they can pull them out. So this was not just, oh yeah, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm going to go in God's presence today. It was actually quite an intense moment. And people outside were praying that the presence of God won't kill the guy and that God would actually forgive their, their sins. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd said, okay, sorry, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. Now this was the first time an angel appeared for 400 years. For 400 years they've gone through the motions, living the law of Moses. And for the first time an angel appeared, and that's why I, I think he was, he, he was just going through the motions. Now just as significant as the Messiah was, so was John, who was to prepare the way for Jesus. And here is John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now if you look at the name meaning, and this is very important, Zechariah means God has remembered. And Elizabeth's name means covenant with God. In the Jewish times, it was very significant what their names meant. Because they, they, they knew it was a prophetic calling over their lives. I wanted to mention this for where I'm going. Now both Zechariah and Elizabeth were from the priestly order. Elizabeth was actually Aaron's daughter. Aaron, who, who was with Moses, the spokesperson, he was, Elizabeth was Aaron's daughter. She was from a priestly order. Zechariah was one of the high priests. He was from a priestly order. These two people were righteous. They were holy in God's eyes, as the scripture says. But in society's eyes, they were reproached. Hell of us verweit, as you in Afrikaans can say. They were reproached, especially Elizabeth, because she was barren. Now for a woman in biblical times, it was very shameful and disgraceful to be barren. If you look at women in biblical times, what was their sole purpose? 
is to bear children. Unfortunate. Thank God that God changed it to the new covenant with Jesus. That we have powerful women in, in the kingdom and in ministry. But in that time, a woman was nothing. A woman couldn't receive honor for her family. Only a man could. And that's why the Bible only counted men. Now for a woman, it was very shameful and very disgraceful. And, and if you look at the covenant of Moses and the law of Moses, it says fruitfulness was a sign of the blessing of the covenant. And it meant that you were keeping the covenant. But if you were barren, it was a sign of disgrace and curse in the covenant. And it meant that you were not keeping the law. It, it's quite hectic, isn't it? Are you barren? Are oh, you must probably not keeping the law. But these two people were from priestly order. They were righteous in God's eyes, but yet they were reproached by society. So as a couple of priestly order, they were trusting God for their promise. That's what their names meant. Remember? God has remembered me. Oh, I've got a covenant with God. Every time they looked at each other, they was like, Lord, we trust you for our promise to bear us a son, to give us a son, to give us children. But because they couldn't conceive, they were seen as disgraceful. Why? Because of the law. You know what disgraceful means? It's a lack of grace. So on this day, Zechariah was picked to go into the holiest of holies. Now, this is amazing. Do you know that Israel had 20,000 priests? In Jesus' time, Israel had 20,000 priests. That means that you only had a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the holiest of holies. One time. It meant that we have a lot of priests so that only one at a time can go in. Not just one of them go in all the time. But because they had so many, this was a lifetime, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. Lots were pulled, his name fell in, and he was picked, and he went in. Once in a lifetime. He was of old age. And then the angel Gabriel appeared to him while Zechariah was busy. And let's look at verse 13 again. It says, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, there's two things that stands out in this verse 13 that I want to quickly look at. The first is the word prayer. God has heard your prayer. Now, if you go and look in the Greek, now remember, Luke has written this, this gospel for the Greeks. When you go to the Greek translation and you, you look at the meaning of the word, that, that word, prayer, it actually is translated into a sentence that says, a prayer you don't pray anymore. So let me rephrase. It says, For God has heard the prayer you don't pray anymore. You see, that means that, that Zechariah has given up on the promise of his name. Given up on the promise that God has given him. He gave up on that prophetic calling of his life to bear a son. So how many of us can relate to that today? How many of us can say that, man, <clears throat> I've just given up. I've waited a week. Or maybe you've waited a few years. Zechariah waited a lifetime. A lifetime. A lifetime of reproach, of disgrace, of people looking at them funny. 
They probably looked at him funny when his name was drawn to go and burn incense. Ah, the disgraceful one. So how many of us has a promise from God, a prophetic call of our lives? And after a long wait, we just give up. We just forget about it. How many of us sitting here today has been praying or dreaming about something to accomplish or something to do in our lives, dreaming to do this or this or this in our lives, but because we haven't seen anything in our lives, we just stop praying for it. I believe we're in a season where God is, is resurfacing dreams in our hearts. He's bringing things to the surface. You remember when you were 20 and you prayed that prayer and you only wanted to become this or only wanted to do that? You remember you stopped praying for that because you just didn't see it. How long are you willing to wait for what God has promised you in your life? Have you given up on what God has promised you in your life? You see, so many of us can relate. Now the second thing actually confirmed this. It confirmed that Zechariah has given up. And if you look at the first line of the scripture, it says, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. Why? Yes, it was 400 years back since the angel was appeared to anyone in Israel, and here it comes to the disgraceful one. And the angel appeared. And he was shaken by fear. Why? You see, Zechariah was fearful because he didn't expect God to show up. He didn't. He was just going through the motions. He was being religious. He was doing his job as a priest. He wasn't standing in faith anymore. He didn't go into that holy of holies expecting God's presence to show up. And suddenly when God's angel appeared, he was shaken to his call. You see, it's so important for us as Christians, as believers, to keep on expecting to encounter God. See, low expectations are the reason we don't encounter God anymore. You see, when I walk into, and I, I mean, I catch myself, honestly, a lot of times when I stand in a place of worship, I'm doing my devotion, and I realize that I've got no expectation to encounter God today. It's, I'm just going to be honest with you. And I realized that I need to gear up my expectation level. I said, Lord, I'm in church today, or I'm in my devotional time today, or I'm driving, I'm listening to this amazing song, but there's no expectation in my heart to, to encounter you now in this moment. See, Zachariah's response and his immediate response shows us his lack of faith. Let's look at it. So the angel said to him, man, you waited a lifetime. Your child is coming. Look at his response. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man. Uh, I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along years. Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence, sorry, I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring this to you, bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Zechariah immediately said, How? How are you going to do this? Just think about it. He's standing in the holiest of holies. 
with a rope attached to his foot if he dies that they can pull him out. He's standing in the holiest of holies and an angel appeared to him. There haven't been an angel appeared to anyone in 400 years and he asked, how are you going to do this? See, he was looking at the impossibility more than the possibility. He gave up so much that he was in total unbelief. He'd absolutely just given up. His lack of faith means he has given up on a promise that God has given him on his birthday when he was birthed and said, you are, I will remember you. God will remember. It's the meaning of his name. And when we give up on a promise of God in our lives, guess what will happen to your faith? It will decrease for that. You see, that's why some people are like, ah, oh, man, I've, I don't have faith for that. Yes, because you've given up on a promise. If you trust God for something big in your life, I, I mean, I spoke to so many young people in my life, and, and, and most of them get to a place where they need to get married, and they want to get married one day. And then usually the, the ladies come and sit with me, it's like, I'll never get married, because I need to wait for the men to wake up. I've given up on all of them. I say, no, don't give up. If you give up, it means that your faith will decrease, that God will give you a godly man. Same with men. Like, I'll never find a wife. Ever, ever, ever. It's like, yeah, I'll keep on saying that. You see, we have, we have taught ourselves through moments where we gave up because we didn't want to anymore. We let the emotions rule our faith. And we just given up. And when we give up on a promise of God, your faith will decrease. Now, if you read the verse 13 in the Passion Translation, Zechariah even asked for a sign. I'm not going to read it. You can go there yourself. He even asked, it's like, how are you going to do this? Give me a sign to prove that it is true. <laughs> it's like, man, yeah, angel, holy of holies, God's presence. And then the angel said, maybe I should shut you up for a while because your unbelief will be like kryptonite you see that's our kryptonite as believers sorry for bringing the superman thing in there but that is unbelief unbelief is like our kryptonite to superman it just takes everything all the, the, the all the power that God has given us as sons of God is taken away by unbelief why? because Hebrews 11 6 says that if you go to Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, remember that? It says it's impossible to please God without faith. Yeah. Impossible. Now we're not, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a place of unbelief. I want to keep things in my life. That's why the word says faith comes by hearing the word. That's why we need to read our Bible so that we keep faith in our hearts so that we don't let go of the promise in our lives. You see, unbelief will silence us when we are actually called to speak to your mountain. Yeah. Remember, the word says, if you have faith as little as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move. But if you can't speak, the mountain is there and is not going to move. And the angel said, there's so much unbelief in your heart 
But what I say will be accomplished, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to silence you till you see the promise. Sometimes God has to silence us so that our unbelief don't destroy our lives. Sometimes God has to take you out of a situation to not be able to speak into it because your unbelief will kill the promise of God. See, we need to realize that we can cancel or slow down our miracle or our promise that God has given us by speaking negative stuff and acting in unbelief in our lives. I've been there a lot of times in my life. Catching myself that I've been speaking unbelief and death over the promises of God in my life because I have given up on the good things that God has promised me. And I believe that God is busy bringing us back to that promises that He has given you when you were born or when you were young or, or when maybe just a couple of weeks ago that you buried and said, it's done, I'm not going to believe for that anymore. See, we need to realize that God has something greater for us. His plan is so much greater. Are we willing to wait and not give up? Now let me pull this all together. If you look at verse 13 in a Passion Translation, let's go back to verse 13. It says, But the angel reassured him, saying, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God is showing grace to you. For I have come to tell you that your prayer, that prayer that you stopped praying, for a, for a child has been answered. Now this is the first sign of an upside down gospel. I don't know if you've seen this already. The law says you are disgraceful. So let God take the disgraceful man and let's, let an angel appear to him and I'll give him the man who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Upside down. It's not the way. How about the most holy of holiest priests of all of them? Why did God use him? No, he came and he used the most disgraceful in human eyes because he looks at the heart. See, here we have a couple that's living in this disgrace, no grace, because Elizabeth can't conceive. The angel Gabriel shows up and says, God is showing grace to you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Oh my, but I'm living in disgrace. No, no, I'm giving you grace. So when Elizabeth became pregnant, look what she says. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace. Where is my disgrace? Among the people. And what's more is that their son's name is to be John. You know what the meaning of John is? God is gracious. Don't tell me God doesn't plan anything to the hearth and last thing. He take the most disgraceful couple that couldn't compare, that couldn't bear children. They, they are reproached. People don't like them. They're this, the law against them. The law even says they are corrupt. And God comes and said, I give you grace today. And as soon as he said that, she became pregnant and said, God has finally taken away my disgrace and has given me grace. See, no matter what you go through in your life, how many stuff, issues, black, 
no matter what you've gone through in your life, no matter how much disgraced you feel in your life, God still comes to give grace. Absolute, full forgiveness in your life. See, in a covenant and law where the couple was disgraced and being judged for not having children, God came and He turned everything upside down and said, let me use them. Let me use them. So for you to, 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 to save your life, you have to lose it. Upside down. So this was the first sign of a new kingdom. This was the first time this new kingdom came that was not driven by law, but driven by grace. And that was what God is about to turn over. There was a, there was a covenant of law, a whole thing, and God says, I'm going to destroy this covenant, turn it on its head, and give you a covenant of grace where my son has paid everything for you. You don't have to do work, perform anymore, but I've given this to you. All you need to do is surrender. On the other side of surrender, where you don't give up anymore, God comes and He shows up. So let me finish with a story that I'm going to start with next week. The mother of Mary, well, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also visited by Gabriel, the same angel. Six weeks, six months after Elizabeth got pregnant, Gabriel came to Mary. And I want to show you quickly, I'm going to start with this and go on next week. I want to show you the contrast between Zechariah's um, response and Mary's response. Now let's read it quickly. Luke 1 verse 30. The angel says, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Mary asked the angel in verse 34. He says, but how? Does it sound familiar? But how can this happen? I am a virgin. But the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Then verse 38 says, Mary responded. Look at her response. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Now look at Mary's first response. How? Zachariah's first response, how? What was the difference? See, the difference was Mary's heart was filled with faith. There was no unbelief or law in her heart. There was no doubt, you're right. For her, it would have been unlawful. Now listen, Mary didn't have a, a, a free sailing path to glory. For a woman to get pregnant before she was married meant instant death. We'll stone you to death right now because it's unlawful. So she knew when the angel said, you will give birth to the son Jesus. Then she said, but how is it possible I'm still a virgin, I need to be married? Didn't come from unbelief. Zachariah said, how is this possible I'm old? But you can still have kids. You see the difference? She responded in faith. She responded in faith. Her response showed that she was filled with faith and joy. And if you read it, I'm going to look at the, the story about Jesus and his mother next week. 
And here is the cons- 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 comparison. I want to end with this this morning. Mary's how turned to a song and joy. But Zechariah's how turned to silence. Big difference. You see, unbelief will turn to silence and nothing. Faith will turn to joy and a song because there's trust in God. When we're in a place where we have given up, I want to encourage you today, but there, there is a way out. If you're sitting here today and say, man, I've given up. I've given up on that thing. I don't want to go there anymore. I want to do this. I'm doing it. Blah, blah, blah. We know the story. It is not an easy thing to go through when you had to come to a place where you had to give up on that dream. There is a way out. There is a way to restore. There is a way to still see and take hold of the promise and a calling in your life. There is. That's by standing up in faith and grab what is yours. I said to a young man one day, I said, yeah, but I wanted to become this and I had this promises and this and everything. The whole castle came down and all my dreams and everything. And I said, well, it, didn't, it doesn't keep you from standing up and making it happen. Paul said, show me your faith and I will show you my faith by my works. I will make this happen. If you really trust God for something, then take the first step. When, when Moses was at the burning bush and said, Lord, how can I save the mightiest nation? Or, or how, how can I save the Israel nation out of the mightiest nation in the world's hands? God says, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Take that. Throw it on the ground. Do something. But grab hold of your destiny. Grab hold on what I have given you. Grab hold on it. See, the enemy wants you in a place of unbelief. The enemy wants you there. He wants you in a place of unbelief where you doubt yourself, where you feel that I'm not worthy, I can't do this anymore, I've given up and I'm never going to go there again. But the enemy wants you there. When you're there, he says, yay, checkmate, tick. But God turned the world upside down with a kingdom driven by grace. That means there is grace in your life. Grace that empowers you. Not just to sit and say, oh, kumbaya. No, no. Grace that empowers you to do things that is so much more than you could ever think you could do. Grace that stand up and said, I've given up on this, but I'm going to go back and say, Lord, I haven't forgot about this dream, about this thing that you've, that calling in my life that you've given me. Help me to stand up and take hold of this thing in my life. There's grace for you and there's grace for me. There's grace for us in this life because God has turned a lawful thinking mindset around, turned it upside down, and he said, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be the general you all waited for, but I'm going to be the king who gives my life so that you can change the world. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning. Sure, what a privilege it is to, to know that you are in control, Father.
Lord, I want to pray for hearts here this morning. I want to pray for hearts that has been hardened because they've given up on that calling, on that thing that they've trusted you for so long. Lord, I want to pray for every heart here this morning. Every heart that that can connect to the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, to the story of Mary. And Lord, although there's a how in our lives, we choose to stand up in faith. We choose to say, Lord, what do you want us to do? We know that you are God who can make the impossible possible. What do you want us to do? I even believe that there's some of you ladies here today that that you have gone through moments of reproach. Maybe you're in a job who's significant as a man job, a manly job, a job that only men do, but you, well, you are there, you're qualified, you do that, but there's been reproach. There's been times in your life that men has looked down on you because you're a woman. I want to declare to you today that it is done. It's over. God is pulling you up. He's pulling you out of that hole and said, I have equipped you to do this. I have given you purpose in your life. No matter if the world says you're barren, I'm seeing you as righteous. I'm seeing you as fruitful in your life. Today is the day when that mindset has to change. And God wants to change something in your heart. God has... He has came, God gave us Jesus so that we don't get stuck in the law, but to get free by grace, to know His heart, to step up as sons and daughters of God in the power of grace that says, I can do so much more. With my God, I can leap over a wall. With my God, I can run against a troop. With my God, I can do so much more, but I need to, to believe it. I want to stand up in faith. No matter if I've waited for a week, a year, or a lifetime, God says, it did not change the way and how I created you. God is busy with something amazing. I truly believe in the next six months we can see more of the glory of God and the goodness of God in the lives and the people around us in this world. I don't care what people say. I believe that this is a significant time in our lives. Significant time. Are you willing to choose it? Are you willing to choose to say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to step up. I'm willing to speak where nobody's speaking. I'm willing to say something where there's unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, that you keep my heart connected to love. So what I do, that I'll do it in love. If you're here this morning and you want to be included in this prayer, say, Lord, I've given up. I've given up on so many things in my life. Lord, I'm asking you this morning to rekindle that flame. Rekindle that faith in my heart. I will not be fearful, but I will expect that you will show up. 
some of us that fear has kept you away from your calling in life. God says, if you expect me to show up, I'm going to show up. So Father, we change our expectations this morning. I pray for every heart here that is in a place that it has been so rough and tough and, and, and intense and they've given up. Thank you, Lord, that your love and your plan for their lives have not changed. I pray that you encourage them today, Holy Spirit. That you will pick them up. That you will help them see the blue sky again. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstellenbosch.co.za.